0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. In 1875, the English poet William Henley sat in a hospital room after three years trying to save his second leg from being amputated, and while he was there, he wrote a short poem called Invictus that has become a classic, and maybe you've never read the poem, but I'm guessing you've heard these words before. It says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This poem by Hanley really captures the spirit of our Western culture, I'm the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We're a culture by nature that is geared towards performance and geared towards achievement. And and really at the core uh, thing underlying all of that is we are a culture that longs for control. In our relationships, in our finances, in our careers, we, do everything and coordinate our lives to such so that we may be able to receive a sense of control. But my question for you this morning is, is there a better story? Is there a better story that God is inviting you and I into than just performance, achievement, and the attempt to grasp at control? And for us to wrestle with as a community this morning as we embark on a new journey, Is there a better story, and is there a better way to fulfill that story? You see, we believe that we are embodied creatures. We're made up of our emotional state and our physical bodies and our mental well-being. We are complex and intricately designed. But the Christian story places your spirit at the center of all of that. And so, what I want to invite us into over the next few weeks is that we would be able to ask ourselves the question, how significant and how important is the formation of your spirit? And if your spiritual formation is central to your life and well-being and very existence, how is one spirit formed? Is this just for the super spiritual, and for the pastors, and for the monastics, or is this truly for everyone? Ken Shigematsu was a a high-ranking executive at Sony, working in Tokyo, and as he was climbing the ranks, writes in his book that he was a 7-Eleven man, meaning he went to work at 7 in the morning and didn't get home till 11 at night. And as he continued to get praise from his colleagues and praise from his praise from different people that were saying you're doing everything you want, he felt his soul and his spirit to start to deteriorate, and he began to start asking the question: Is there more? And at that moment, there became a shift in Shigematsu's life, where he both discovered that his family came from an ancient ancestry of the samurai. And the samurai lived by this rule called bushido. And bushido was this system or this pattern of life that anchored oneself into wisdom, fortitude, loyalty, compassion, and service. And as he was studying about his own ancestry, he also stumbled upon this ancient Christian practice called the rule of life that looked very similar. And it's the idea that the rhythms, the habits and the practices that you involve in your life ultimately change and shift who you are. In his book, God and My Everything, he says, we all long for something more than that rat race, rushing through life without ever living. We crave depth an experience of beauty, truth, and meaning. And while most of us won't take permanent vows in a monastic community, we can each learn to enjoy God's presence in our rhythms of work and rest, study and play, community and solitude. And so what I want to propose this morning is that you and I and our church go on a journey Towards what does it mean to be people who are having our spirits formed? It's the the phrase spiritual formation in the way of Jesus. How does that happen? If this is the central operating system, how do we make sure that we don't find ourselves waking up one day not even knowing who we've become and why we're there? And so what I want to do is I want to read a, a text from Scripture. This is the words of Jesus that are going to be central to our study over the next couple of months. And so if you would, would you stand to your feet with me as we read John 15? I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, the first 12 verses. And by the way, we do this as a way just to honor the word of God that's going to be preached. We recognize that as much time of preparation that anyone's preaching has gone into it, it's actually the words of scripture that carry with them the true transformative power. So as we stand with our body, it's a way for us to signal our minds and our spirits to receive what Jesus spoke. So in John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of God. You may be seated. You'll notice this word repeated again and again. And it's this word abide. Think of our word abode or to make home with. And this idea of abiding then gets colored by this idea of vine and branches that you have to stay connected in this vineyard type imagery. And he has this sentence in here that I don't know if it caught your attention, but it always is mine. It says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a significant claim, especially in our Western success-obsessed culture, that Jesus would say, if you are not connected to the vine, it doesn't say that you don't have effort and you don't have accomplishments, but what he's saying is that the effort and accomplishments that you accumulate will lack the life that you were designed for. You were designed to be connected with me. That, That image was taken about 500 years later by a guy named St. Benedict, who was kind of fed up with kind of the Christianity that he was shown. And he decided to make what he called a rule of life. Don't think rules of life. The word rule in Latin comes from the word regula, which means a trellis, which is actually going to be the title of our series for the next uh, two or three months. This idea of a trellis, that... We actually, through our choices, habits, and rhythms, create something that holds up a life. And so what I want to do is offer you a definition this morning of spiritual formation. And this is taken from Robert Mulholland, who is just an incredible author. Um, I'll recommend his book at the end of this. It's something I think that all of us should read. It's something that was really transformative for me. But this is his definition of spiritual formation. The process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so we're going to break this up into four different themes this morning based on that sentence, and this is going to kind of set us up for the next few months. Number one is the process, that this is not something that happens instantaneously, but rather this is a journey. Secondly, that this process involves us being formed. There's a level of intentionality that goes into this process. Thirdly, that we are being formed into the image of Christ. There's a goal or a telos at the end of this. And lastly, that all of this is not just moving towards our own personal privatized spirituality. It is for the sake of others. And so again, spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So let's begin the first one, the idea that this is a process. What kind of process is this? Well, the first thing I think I want to point out is that spiritual formation is not your effort to form your spirit closer to Christ, but rather it is the Holy Spirit forming you. Rather than you acting a certain way towards God, it is positioning your life for God to be, for God to be acting upon you. It is opening ourselves up to the reality that we have a God who's interactive with us. He's incarnational. He's moving towards us. He's involved. Whether No matter where you are in the spectrum of your faith, um, I've met many of you the past few weeks that you've just started attending church, some of you for the first time in your life. And this is honestly a great time to step into in terms of a type of a series or a series of teachings, because this is what, whether you this is your thousandth time in church or your first This is the journey that we're all invited into, the process of letting the Spirit form us. Now, for those of us who grew up in Christianity, chances are this idea of spiritual formation has been taken one of two ways. The first one is that if you are maybe a part of a more Reformed tradition, there is a heavy emphasis on what's called total depravity, meaning that we, in and of ourselves, have nothing good apart from God. And it is only God who produces and does the work in us. And there's a a lot of scripture and narrative that supports this idea of just how intentional God is with us. But inadvertently, what can happen within that sort of framework is that, well, I, I don't really know what my part is. It's all God. And any sort of effort, you better make sure that you give God glory for it. But I like how Dallas Willard points out. He says, grace... Is opposed to earning, not effort. So anything that makes you feel like you can earn some sort of spiritual status becomes dangerous. But I think we've taken that to a point now where we think that any effort becomes dangerous. But maybe for me, and by the way, I grew up in both of these traditions, maybe you grew up in more of a charismatic tradition. And charismatics have this, this strong belief that this well, God, the God of the Bible is the same God who's in the room today. And with that, there's a heavy emphasis on miracles, God's presence. And with that, there's a high level of expectation that God can change a circumstance, a person, in an instant. Now, one thing I want to point out, both, both our brothers and sisters, by the Reformed tradition and the charismatic tradition, add something to the table. One is that it's God who's at work. The charismatic say, God can do anything in a moment. But what I want to offer you this morning that was kind of severely missed by my upbringing is that although God can do any miracle in a moment, we see God heal in an instant, we see God resurrect in an instant, you never see him make a disciple in an instant. Discipleship always is a process. Secondly, any individual that you chart through the New Testament, there is active participation with the work of God in their life. And so I want to begin this idea that we are invited into a process. Can God do anything he wants in a moment? Absolutely. Is God the the one who is acting upon us? Absolutely. But the invitation of these next few months is to join in with the activity of God in our life and to recognize that this will not just take you a series over the next two or three months. This will take you a lifetime. So pace yourself accordingly. Anyone ever ran like a half marathon or full marathon and your first mile you ran too fast because you're with the crowd and you feel so good and you're so pumped up and then mile like 17, you're like, why did I do that? And so I wanted to set our pace, our spiritual pace as we dive into this journey. Some of you guys are going to be like, tell me every spiritual discipline. I'm going to read all these books you have up here in like one week and I'm going to be good. The idea of this series is not for you to be a fully formed image bearer of Christ by the end of this, that you would actually begin a process of doing that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Prince Caspian, has this amazing dialogue between Lucy and Aslan. And if you're familiar with the story, Aslan is portrayed as this lion that's really um, a metaphor to God. And Lucy's this young girl, and she shows up and sees Aslan. and She says, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And that's the process we're invited into. The second thing I wanted to point out in terms of process is that there is both an active and a passive spirituality. The active spirituality is the one that we're probably most familiar with. It's what you participate in, right? It's repentance. It's faith. It's spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer and, and coming to church and, and, and reading scripture. And it's all of these act, active things. And the idea is that it creates this holistic life that is centered around the person of Jesus. And we're going to be spending, like I said, quite a while unpacking how do we engage in active spirituality. Robert Mulholland in his book says, "...the spiritual formation is the experience of being shaped by God toward wholeness. But spiritual formation as a process will be seen to move against the grain of our instant gratification culture and the possessiveness and acquisitive society. Once we understand spiritual formation as a process, all of life becomes spiritual formation." Cooperation with God's gracious work moves us towards the wholeness of Christ. Rebellion against God's gracious work moves us into destructive and dehumanizing emptiness, into increasingly dysfunctional lives that are self-destructive. So we get to move in cooperation with God's gracious work through our active participation, or we can work in rebellion against God's gracious work in our life, which ultimately leads to a sense of emptiness. But you'll notice that this is our whole life. And so there is this active part, which we'll spend a majority of our time doing. But I also wanted to point out something that many of us really think about, that there's actually a passive spirituality. My passive spirituality meaning you didn't mark it on your calendar. You didn't plan for it. And chances are you didn't even choose it and you don't like it. Passive spirituality can look like a baby waking up at 3 a.m. to be fed. It can look like caring for a parent or grandparent who's aging. It can look like sitting in traffic for way too long. Passive spirituality is when life presents itself to you in a way that is testing your spiritual maturity. And the reality is, is this happens to all of us. There is a passive spirituality. There's opportunities every single day where you're like, okay, how am I going to respond to this? And if you and I are honest with ourselves and we join with the Apostle Paul and say... And sometimes the things I want to do, I do not do. And sometimes the things I don't want to do, I do do. And so it's this this constant ebb and flow. One thing I wanted to point out is that oftentimes the older we get, the more we recognize that passive spirituality is just a reality for our life. Think about the very end of John's gospel when Jesus is kind of reinstating Peter And he said, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The invitation to follow Jesus both involves a part of your life that you are active and you do the things that you want. And then following Jesus also involves a part of your life where you don't get to make the decisions like that anymore. And oftentimes I recognize whenever I meet someone over the age of 40, they talk about how like they're the oldest person in the room. You're not, okay? Um, But I recognize that this is, there's a younger demographic to our church. Um, The older you get, the more you realize that life, you don't have to go and do anything. Life presents opportunities for your spiritual formation all the time. And the older we get, the less choices we will have, the less freedoms we will have, our body will not be able to keep up with the spirit that is eternal. And so learning what to do with passive spiritual formation is important. How do we recognize God's work even in the mundane, the ordinary, and especially the hard and in the suffering? That God is at work. The Scottish writer George MacDonald says, To give us the spiritual gift we desire, God may have to begin far back in our spirit, in regions unknown to us, to do much work that we can be aware of only in the results. In the gulf of our unknown being, God works behind our consciousness. With his holy influence, with his own presence, he may be approaching our consciousness from behind. Coming forward through regions of our darkness into our light, long before we begin to be aware that He is answering our request, He has answered it and is visiting His child. I love and I hate this quote. But it's so true. There is times in my life where I'll be done after it's a long day or a long season. I'm like, man, that was wild. And then all of a sudden I'm aware, I'm like, wow, God, you actually did so much in me through that. But during the moment, I was completely unaware. And I love what McDonald's talked about. Sometimes God works from behind. And all of a sudden he shows up and he reveals what you've been doing. I ran into my friend, Pat Lynch, who's a pastor at the movement in San Marcos, who, and maybe some of you guys know his story, had a horrific accident while he was in the middle of doing a triathlon. Doing an Ironman, actually. And went through a car. Um, pretty much what the doctor said is his entire body had, had died. The only thing that was still firing was the very back of his brain telling his body to breathe. There's no way he should have survived. Um, I saw him, this is now 10 months after the accident, still walking with a cane. And I'm looking at this, this like, Ironman triathlete. I'm like, bro, how are you doing? And he's like, this has been the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And he, and he looked at me, he's like, and I wouldn't change it. And he's like, the things God has done in me could not have come any other way. And I'm looking at this guy who's just this like, just freak driven athlete guy who's just the last 10 months had to slow. And he says, the things God has spoken me through that. And I think the reality is, and again, if you're in the room and you're like 19 and 22 and like, you know, like you don't get sore after you run a marathon or something like that, like good for you. But the reality is there are seasons in our life that will only progress as we get older that are invitations from the Lord to say, do you see, I'm still working, I'm still forming your spirit, if you let me, if you notice. And so I think this is the, the starting point. And, and for some of you guys, you might be like, you're already there, but I think the reality is even in our spirituality, we just want to get there, we want to arrive And the very first start to talking about spiritual formation is this is a lifelong process that spills over into eternity. The second thing I want to talk to you about is that this process involves us being formed. And what I want to do is I want to be able to challenge how you think your spirit is formed. And the reason I want to challenge that is because the church at large has adopted very much um, very much what we have inherited from kind of the broader philosophical and academic world, that you are changed by information. That the more you know, the more books you read, the more podcasts you listen to, the more knowledge you have is equated to the change that you're actually going to have. in. Now, there's a part of that that's true. But what, I, but what research is showing is what the Bible has been preaching for thousands of years is the most transformative agent in your life is not information, it's habit. It's your rhythms. Your choices, habits, daily practices are the thing that form you more, more deeply than anything else in your life. And so think about Jesus' words we just read in John 15, verse 9. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What a a strange thing. We think of abiding as, okay, well, tell me how to do it. He says, you are actively daily keeping obedience to my commandment. Matthew seven twenty four after the Sermon on the Mount, ends the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon of all time says, therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so what I wanted to just do is doing talking about our formation is to say, yes, we need information. We, I mean, this is why we're all here this morning, to hear from the word of God. What is Jesus inviting us into? But to realize that this must must be much deeper than just a cognitive transaction of more information or Bible verses. If we don't leave here and like Jesus says, put this into practice, we're building our house on sand. We have to be actually to participate in him. What is he doing? So anybody watch the US Open this week? Just... Some of the most exciting tennis I've ever seen in my life. It's probably the only tennis I've seen in my life, but it was very exciting, (laughs) to say the least. Coco golf, absolutely brilliant. Um, And simultaneously, I don't think it had anything to do with it, is um, our son Augustine got really into tennis, like pulled out all our tennis rackets, right, and got tennis balls, and every single day, can we go play tennis? Um, and so, like as much as we can, we're just taking him up to the tennis court, and like just just the swagger and pride he walks around with, with his little like tennis racket, like it's just so like inspiring. Like, and so we're we're playing tennis. He, he was literally so upset because he, I told him I'd take him to play tennis, and we got home really late, and he's just crying. He's like, "Dad, you told me you'd take me tennis." So I'm like, "Fine." So it's like. It's, like, already bedtime. I drive him up the thing, turn on the tennis lights, and we're, like, out there. And I'm, like, in this moment, we're just, like, you know, hitting the ball back and forth. And, um, and by the way, he's not, like, he's just learning. He's not, like, if he gets it over the net, he wins the point. That's, like, his thing. Um, and he looks at me after he makes one of those points. And he, said, and he looks at me, he says, Dad, I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. And I was, like, Sweet. I'm like, how do you plan on doing that? And, he, and he's looked at me, it looks like he's like, I already am, clearly. <laughs> and as someone who's lived a little bit more life than him, one thing I, just, I, I wanted to share with him and will gently over those times, not to like crush the spirit, is this idea that there's a massive difference between trying and training. You can be the most naturally gifted person in the world, but you will not achieve your goals if you are not willing to train. And I think, unfortunately, in the Christian faith, we have emphasized trying and not training. Your spirit is being formed. Newsflash. Whether you're intentional with it or not, the the central operating system of your life, your spiritual life that flows into your physical, emotional, mental, relational, social, all of those things, your central operating system, is being formed every single day. And so my encouragement to you is not to try harder, but to train more intentionally according to the way of Jesus. Thank you, Jen. M. Scott Peck, in his book, The Road Less Travel, says. There are many people I know who possess a vision of personal evolution, yet seem to lack the will for it. They want and believe it is possible to skip over the discipline, to find any shortcut to sainthood. Often they attempt to attain it by simply imitating the superficialities of saints, retiring to the desert or taking up carpentry. Some even believe that by such imitation they have really become saints and prophets and are unable to acknowledge that they are still children and face the painful fact that they must start at the beginning and go through the middle. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, says, in our efforts to avoid the necessary pains of discipline, we miss the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus. We need a different way of approaching the way of Jesus. I just heard this week that John Hopkins University noted that 90% of people who had cardiovascular surgery, 90% a year later, did not change their diet. Yet, 80% of people who had a loving and supportive community did. Meaning the surgery itself did not change the lifestyle of the 90% of people whose life was literally saved. But you know what did change the people's diet, exercise, livelihood? Was the habits, rhythms, and people they lived with. And I think our spirituality is the same way. It's it's this invitation. This is what's hard even about preaching this sermon, is, is my hope is that you would journey with us over really till Thanksgiving. We're gonna be talking about rhythms and practices and disciplines, habits. That will affect our life. By the way, these are not habits and rhythms we just came up with. These are deliberately taken from the life of Jesus. These are habits and rhythms Jesus lived into. Because like what John Mark Comer says, we cannot expect the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. And unfortunately, many of us have. We've just expected the life of Jesus, but we have failed to live into the habits and the rhythms of the lifestyle of Jesus. And so what we want to do at the end goal, I'm going to tell you kind of the end of this, right around Thanksgiving, we are going to actually build our own personal trellis, your own rhythm, your own map, your own rule of life that you can do for you or your family. We'll, we'll maybe build on for like, what does this mean for to be a follower of Jesus in Encinitas or in San Diego? But the idea is that there's intentionality around the things that we're doing. C.S. Lewis says that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you're slowly turning the central thing. And so what we wanna do is, is this morning, is we're gonna do a couple of things. Number one, we're gonna let you know like, hey, here, here are some rhythms, practices and disciplines We want you to start praying through adding to your life. But before we dive into the practicals, the the idea is that we actually have to change how we think about this as a whole. Uh, James Clear has a New York Times best-selling book called Atomic Habits. Has anyone read that? It's it's, it's phenomenal. It's an amazing book. Um, I would encourage you, if you haven't read it, read it through the lens of spiritual formation. Read it through the idea of adopting habits and rhythms, not just to perform best as a human being or to get the best numbers on your spreadsheet or whatever, uh, but to actually form the inner part of who you are. In his book, he tells an interesting story of a guy named Mitch um, who needed to lose 100 pounds. And what Mitch did is he set a rule that he was going to go to the gym every day for five minutes. And he wouldn't he wouldn't allow himself to go for six, he just went for five. And the reason that he did that is before he started working out and losing weight, he needed to start believing of himself that he was a gym goer. I This is what I do. This is a part of my life. And as he started believing the identity of I am a gym goer, he started expanding his workout. And what happened is because his central identity changed, his rhythms and practices were able to be sustainable. And that's really our hope is that we would move from kind of intentional choices, like, I'm gonna try and do this, or I'm gonna maybe stop doing this, I'm gonna adjust this, moves from the like the thinking space into the point where you're actually just, this is a part of who you are. I mean, think about think about driving. Um, we're, um, Zoe turned 15 on Monday, so the very first thing she tells me, she says, I can get my permit in six months, so pray for us on your knees, you yes. know, if you can. Um, We've taken Zoe to a parking lot once to teach her how to drive, and um, wow. (laughs) The, The things you don't even think about, the amount of focus it took for someone just being, okay, now which pedal's which? Do I use two feet or one? You know, what does the P and the D stand for? You know, are these blinkers or windshield wipers? I mean, and I'm just like, I don't think about any of those things. That, um, some, I mean, can we be honest? Sometimes you ever show up at your house, you're like, I don't even remember driving here. Like, <laughs> It's so built into us. These are, these are your neurological pathways that have been driven into your brain. But, but guys, all of this stuff that kind of the business and self-help world is trying to capitalize on, this is actually true. This is how God designed your spirit to be. If you start to actually intently live in such a rhythmic way that positions Jesus at the center of your life, we begin to shift in a dramatic way to holistic spirituality. Um, Rene Descartes, who's a philosopher lived hundreds of years ago, became the most famous, or was most famous for his line, I think, therefore I am. And he's the one who kind of really, one of the people kickstarted the enlightenment that just says your your psychology is the most important thing about you. Also believe that a person is just a thinking thing. But what I just wanna propose to you and Rene Descartes, if you're listening, um, is we are more than just a thinking thing. We are an embodied soul. James K.A. Smith in his book, you are what you love, which is the first three chapters are just phenomenal. All that's good, but like the first three chapters are so good. He writes this, such an intellectualist, intellectualist model of the human person, one that reduces us to mere intellect, assumes that learning and hence discipleship is primarily a matter of depositing ideas and beliefs into our mind containers. Critical education theorist Bell Hooks echoing Paolo Freire calls this a banking model of knowledge. Of education. We treat human learners as if they are safe deposit boxes for knowledge and ideas, mere intellectual receptacles for beliefs. We then think of action as a kind of withdrawal from this bank of knowledge, as if our action and behavior were always the outcome of conscious, deliberate, rational reflection that ends with a choice, as if our behaviors were basically the conclusion to a little syllogism in our head whereby we think our way through the world. In all of this, we ignore the overwhelming power of habit. And this is why I think that in Romans 12:1, this this hinge point in the Romans letter says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason I wanted to point that out is oftentimes we skip down to verse two and we forget about verse one. We want the renewal of our mind. We'll read the book, hear the podcast, come to the church, hear the sermon, and all of these things. By the way, these are this is part of it. This is verse two. But it begins by offering your whole self, your body, your physicality, your habits, your rhythms, every single part of you is given over to. And this is how a trellis begins to be built. But here's the here's the question. We're not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but it's probably the most important part, is what are you being built into? Right? We're in a process. We are shifting from just receiving information to actually forming habits and rhythms towards a trajectory. But what is that trajectory? Or in the Greek word, the telos. Think of a telescope. Where is this going? And if you miss this, you've missed everything. The goal of the process and the formation of our spirit is that we be formed into the image of Christ. The goal of the Christian life is not that you would just be forgiven? Is that through Christ's redemptive work you would be shaped more and more into the image of Christ? First Corinthians fifteen forty nine says, "And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, speaking of Adam, or all human beings, so shall we bear." This is future tense. The image of the heavenly man. We are in this process. of of letting this happen to us. And so when we do this, when we recognize this, all of a sudden our habits and rhythms begin to start having color. They start recognizing what they are. Blaise Pascal says, you have to wager. It is not up to you. You are already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. And again, to to quote James K. Smith, he says, To be truly and fully human, we need to find ourselves in relationship to the one who made us and whom we are made. The gospel is the way we learn to be human. As Irenaeus once put it, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. You know, LeBron James spends a million dollars on his body every year, right? That would be nice, you know, I suppose. Uh, and there's results. No, no one has done what LeBron James has done as a basketball athlete as long as he has. And it's not because he was naturally born gifted, it's not just because of his height, but it's because the level of the amount of sleep he gets. The amount of professionals he has surround him, a million dollars every year just on keeping his body. But, you know, if you're a Lakers fan, I love you, okay? But it's going to be interesting watching LeBron play over the next few years. No matter how much money you spend on your peak physical performance, it will not last into eternity, but your spirit will. Why wouldn't you want to invest the greatest amount of purpose, resource, intentionality around the thing that will never fade or perish. Like this is, the, this is the thing. This is why Paul says outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day after day. And we can do that now. Even if you think that you're outwardly, you're not wasting away. You're like, man, I'm just peaking right now. I feel great. <laughs> Invest in the thing that will not, that will not fade. It will be carried on to eternity. And the last thing I just wanted to point out is that all of this, our process of being formed into the image of Christ, according to and the last part of this is for the sake of others. And this is, again, I think a massive miss on kind of the broader Christian narrative is that we think spirituality is this private, individualized asset. You are being formed in the image of Christ for the people around you and for yourself. But you are being formed because there is a world desperately in need of an embodied Christ. This is why Christ, I mean, guys, sometimes we like turn this big metaphor. Christ called you his body for a reason. You are the embodiment of Christ here on the earth. So when you take on his character, nature, essence, priorities, values, you then get to become, in a very real sense, hands and feet and the mouth and the heart of Jesus everywhere that you go. It is for the sake of others. Is why Paul in Ephesians 5 says, follow God's example. It's another way of saying being formed into Christ's image, therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering. John Wesley once said there can be no personal holiness without social holiness, right? This is not meant just to stay privatized. This is to move out into our environment. This is why Jesus, the the first verse we read, when he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These, These things I say, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Maholins had this, had this line that really kind of punched me in the gut this week. It says, if you want to see an accurate picture of how your spiritual maturity is, take a look at your relationships with others. I was like, oh. Because we are being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, we are doing this for the world. So this is how I'd like to just conclude, and I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Is would we as a church posture and position our heart today over the next few months to say, Lord, I'm going to take an inventory and an evaluation of my life? Am I in being intentional with the very most precious part of who I am? Our spirits are vulnerable. And yet at the same time incredibly resilient. And so it's using that resilience in a way to actually make sure that we're intentional with that. 2 Chronicles 16, nine, last verse I want to read you. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, who? Those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So I'm going to give you a little map. These are these are some of the spiritual practices we're going to be looking at over the next few months. Um We've chosen two each Sunday so we can fit more in, but also we've kind of put them as juxtapositions to each other because some of us will realize, they'll be like, oh, I like that one, but not that one so much. Fasting and feasting, we already know where you're at, okay? (laughs) But our spirit needs both. We need upstream and downstream disciplines to form the way that helps us connect to God, but also the way that needs to make sure our shadow side gets formed as well. And so just a quick look, these are some of the things we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks. The reason I'm showing you this, our goal is not for you to do all of them. Our goal is to pick a few. Incorporate them into your life. And while you incorporate them into your life, what are some things in your life you can lay down? Renunciation is a part of the spiritual life as well. What do you need to stop? I wanna leave you with three questions this morning before I pray. Number one, who do you want to become? And this is is what, take all week, not just the next five minutes. Who do you want to become? Keep in mind, this this is an eternal question, not a temporal one. Number two, is your trellis, your rhythms and habits as they currently are, is that working in helping form you into the type of vision of person you'd like to become. And thirdly, what is God inviting you into? This is not your master plan, your ingenuity. This is the Spirit's work already inside of you that you're just partnering with to open yourself up to who Jesus is. Would you stand to your feet with me? Last thing, if if this interests you... um, I've been reading, doing a lot of reading research for the series. I think there's a list on the screen of some books I'd recommend. Um, If if you're a reader, you want to dive more into this idea of spiritual formation and rule of life and all these things, feel free to check these out. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you didn't just come for an instant shift of justification and forgiveness. You came to invite us on a journey. A journey that would form us into your image by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you so much. You come and start now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.